thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. It's just so good to be, to be with you again. My name's Leon. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Life Central. And um, we're looking today at bigger than our crisis. And um, by the time you check out with us today, I hope that I will have given you something um, of a perspective on what we're going through as a, as a planet and as a people. You know, we've been looking in the last few weeks about um, that there is someone and something bigger than our struggles, bigger than our fears, bigger than our doubts and bigger than our pain. But today we want to change the narrative a little bit and to talk about what or who uh, is bigger than our crisis. And um, you see, I want to give you like not just the up close and personal view, but I want to give you like a 30,000 foot aerial view to give you a sense of what I think God wants to say to us through this season. I don't think God has caused this crisis at all, but in the middle of it, I think God wants to do something And you know, whether you are a follower of Jesus uh, or not, this is for you, okay? Uh, It really is. You see, the the reality is, if we want to get a bigger perspective or a better perspective, um, it's all about the questions that we're asking. Because we're all asking questions right now. We're all asking things like, when is this going to change? You know, can I go out now? Where can I go? Who can I go with? Is it one-on-one, two? What's going on here? You know, should the kids go back to school or shouldn't they go back to school? You know, we're asking all these kind of questions and that's all good. But ultimately what we're asking here is the kind of questions that are around, am I going to get through this? You know, am I going to make it? Am I going to survive at the other end of it? You know, and those kind of questions. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We totally get that. It's a little bit like, you know, we look at life differently and we look at experiences differently depending on our personality or on our background or on our temperament. For instance, roller coasters. I don't know how many of you, when you come to go on a, on a roller coaster, on a park ride, I don't know whether, how many of you enjoy them, how many of you endure them, or how many of you just don't do them? In fact, why, why don't you just put in the chat right now, whether you are the enjoy, the, you love the ride, you endure it, you just kind of gritted teeth and hold on, or whether you just don't go on them at all. Why don't you just put that in the chat right now? Am I someone that endures the ride? Do I enjoy the ride? Do I just don't do the ride? It, it all depends on how, how you go into an experience as to what you get out of it on the other side. And here's another big question that we're asking, and I want you to help me with this today, okay? So I'm going to state a question, and I'm going to leave the last word out, and you're going to fill the word in on the chat right now, okay? So get ready, whether you're on Church Online, whether you're on Facebook, whether you're on YouTube, I want to say there's going to be a prize for the first person to get it, but there's not. But just take part anyway, okay? So here it is, okay? And I'm going to get this right. When are things going to return to... Got it? When are things going to return to, and you write the word in. Can you shout the word out? What's the word I'm after? When are things going to return to? Normal. That's absolutely the word. And many of us are asking that question. When are things going to return to normal? Here's the thing. What's normal? What's normal? Just take a little look at some of these photographs that we're going to put up right now. Um, like, like here's the first one, the new normal. You know, like how do I invest in these? I don't know how many of you are going to go online and get something like that when, when we return to the new normal. How about this one? I, I love this one. It's cat. I tried to be normal once. It was awful. <laughs> and then this is my all-time favourite. I, I, I just love this one. The final one. I tried to be normal once. Worst two minutes of my life. You see, what's normal? 
Who's normal? You know, a guy called John Ortberg wrote a book, Everyone's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. In these last nine weeks, me and my wife, Alison, we've been together since our teenage years. Ah, oh, I know, a long time. This nine weeks is the longest stretch of time that we've ever been together without a break, okay? In fact, this is the longest stretch of time that I've been in the same house as Alison for years because I travel such a lot. And you know, I'm realizing something because we've been together so much over these last nine weeks. My wife's not normal. Now, I need to be careful because she's an online pastor today, okay? But can I also say, she would tell you, I'm not normal. What is normal anyway? Who is normal? And here's the reality. Maybe some things around normal were great, but maybe some things around normal weren't quite that great. But here's what happens. When we've been in a situation like we've been in for so long, we begin to miss things that were normal. Even those things that maybe weren't that great, but we're beginning to miss them. Guys, if you're from Life Central Church, um, I love that video right at the top of our service today. Big shout out to Gareth Davis for putting that together and all the people that took part. But you know, just because church doesn't look like this doesn't mean it can't look like that. And that's so good. But I don't know about you, but I'm beginning to really miss some of those normal things about our church experience. Even the things that weren't that great, but now I'm beginning to miss them. Like the greeters like the over-friendly greeters that want to hug the life out of everyone, even though we often say, please don't do that, especially for new people. But I'm beginning to miss that. I'm beginning to miss the sleepers. Those of you, and you know who you are, that always fall asleep every time I speak. I'm even beginning to miss you. I'm beginning to miss um, like the surprises. Like those surprise moments, you know, we as a church, we, we're set up to try and um, be open and accessible for people that don't normally do church. So we try not to do weird stuff because sometimes Christians do weird stuff. And I remember like a, a couple of years ago, we had this kind of special service where lots of new people were coming and uh, we were really focused on, on not doing anything that was a little bit strange or difficult to engage with. And if, you are a, if you're not a church person, then, then, then maybe this will make you smile uh, as it makes us smile. But on this particular service, um, it had gone really well. And there were lots of people in the room that don't do church. And remember at the end, I got off the stage and as I'm walking out, there's two guys who'd never been to the church before and they were looking and they were looking around and they were thinking, wow, this is a, an amazing experience. It really impacted them. And then this little old lady came forward, bless her, I love her to bits. And she said, could you pray for me, pastor? And so I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. So I started to pray for her. Now, sometimes, sometimes when, when God touches you, you can fall over sometimes. It sounds a little bit weird. She did that, but she didn't go backwards. She fell forwards. She fell on me and she took me to the ground. And so there I am with this old lady on top of me and there's these two guys who've never been to church before looking at me with their mouths wide open. And I'm saying, Jesus, now, really? Like we didn't want to be weird, we wanted to be normal. But I'm even missing those kind of experiences. I'm even missing those people that come to me and say, the music's too loud. I'm not missing that that much actually. But, but here's the thing, don't try to revert to normal when God might be wanting us to take, to take us forward into something brand new. There's loads of things about normal which were nice and there's loads of things about normal which are comforting and there's loads of things about normal which I'm sure we'll go to but I don't think God wants us to go back to normal. I think he wants us to go forward to something brand new. You see, there's some good things in normal but maybe not everything in normal is that great. Maybe normal could be the enemy of God's 
best. And here's my big idea and my big thought for you today. The only thing worse than a crisis is a wasted crisis. I don't think, and I'm pretty sure God didn't cause this crisis, but in it, God wants to do something in you, in me, and in us. But we've got to change the questions up. We've got to change the question from, am I going to make it through these days? To what are these days going to make in me? We've got to change the question up from, how am I going to get through this? To who am I going to become at the end of this? Am I going to be a better husband? A better man, a better father, a better employee, a better employer, a better son, a better daughter. Am I going to be a better follower of Jesus? Am I going to be a better human being? You know, there's, there's such a, 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 a tragedy if we go through this crisis and we waste what God wants to do in the middle of it. There is someone bigger than our fears and our pains and our struggles and our doubts and our crisis. But there's also something bigger than all of that. And that's what God wants to do in the middle of it because God is bigger than our crisis. So we're going to look this morning at a, at a, at a, at a, at a, I said a chap in the Bible, a guy in the Bible called James. And um, he writes this little letter in the New Testament, which is the second half of the, the Bible. It's like the post after Jesus bit of the Bible. And James is interesting because James was the brother of Jesus. Now, Jesus is the saviour of the world. Okay, James was his brother and James was a doubter of Jesus. And then he became a believer. And then actually he became a leader in the early church and then he became a martyr. He gave his life for his belief in Jesus, his brother. It's one of the reasons why I'm a follower of Jesus. I look at that and I think, how could James give his life for the belief that Jesus rose from the dead when Jesus was his brother? What would you have to do to convince your brother that you were the saviour of the world? Well, I think you'd have to rise from the dead, wouldn't you? If you've got a brother or a sister, you know, it'd have to be something pretty dramatic. And and James goes from being a doubter to a believer to a leader to a martyr who gives his life for the love of not only his brother Jesus, but the saviour of the world. And and James writes to the early church. Now now listen, the early church at this time was in crisis. Their crisis wasn't a pandemic like COVID-19. Their crisis was persecution. They were being persecuted so much that they had to spread out of Jerusalem. And here's the amazing thing. As persecution, as the crisis hit, the church grew. As the crisis hit, there was something bigger at work than just the crisis. The church was growing. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But we're going to go to James chapter 1 and verse 2. Some well-known verses I want to share with you this morning. And, And James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And that little phrase, pure joy, it's like not just joy, but pure joy, optimum joy, uber joy, mega joy. And it feels and sounds really English to me. This is pure joy. I'm going through this testing. It's a little bit like if you watch Gogglebox, it's like Giles and Mary, okay? I love that that character. It's like, oh Mary, oh Mary. I can imagine Giles saying, this is pure joy, this awful tragedy. It sounds really English, but James is not meaning it to be like that because he goes on to say in the next verse, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You see, what's happening, James says, is that as you're being tested, as you're under pressure, as the crisis is hitting you, something of value is being developed in you. 
And it's this word perseverance. And James says, you know. Not you believe or not you think, but you know. You know, you get it that there's something that's producing something valuable. It's like carbon. Carbon is put under pressure and it's put under heat. And in the intensity of the pressure and the heat, over a long period of time, we get diamonds. And I think in the middle of this crisis, there is something bigger than just our crisis. God is at work and he's wanting to produce something valuable in me, in you and in us. And I think he's wanting to produce something stronger in us. I I shared this a a week or so ago on one of my daily um, updates or devotions. I can't remember which. Um, a, A few years ago, I started cycling. And uh, I stopped last summer when I fell off, uh, but I've got back out on my bike again. And, and when, when I first started cycling, there are some guys in our church who are proper cyclists. And one of them took me out one of the first times I went and, uh, and we went around, it was fine. Then we went up this, this hill. Now, when I say hill, it's a tiny little hill. But to me, it was Everest, okay? Because I was so unfit and I was so unused to it. Uh, and I couldn't cycle up the first time, so I'm pushing it up. Second time, I managed to get up to the top. Third time, I'm a little bit better. And eventually, I got to a point where I felt I was getting stronger as a cyclist And then I went up this hill again and I got to the top and and it still felt so hard. And I said to the guy I was with, I thought by now that that, that this would have been easy. And he said this to me, he said, the hill doesn't change, you just get stronger. Mm, Like a Yoda statement. (laughs) The hill doesn't get any smaller, you just get stronger. And that's what James is getting at. That when you connect to God in the crisis, in the testing, it produces perseverance in you and the hill doesn't change. But you do, you get much, much stronger. And then he goes on to say this, so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. The next verse, not lacking anything. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Guys, I wanna say something to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, please hear this. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, This is so important that you hear it as well. Before we re-enter, before we reset, before we return, let's leave it in the oven long enough. Let's let God do what He wants to do in this season. Because I don't think He wants us just to go back to an old normal. He wants us to go forward to a new normal. And maybe the old normal wasn't all that great anyway. And James says that what's going to happen is this perseverance is going to come and it's going to bring to you maturity and you're going to be complete, not lacking anything. You see, what God wants to do is nearly always in the under the waterline areas of our life. What do I mean by that? A boat, you see a boat above the waterline, but it's what's under the waterline that's so, so important. In 1992, a guy called Mike Plant um, got on board his yacht called the Coyote. And uh, there's a book made of it. It's going to come up on the screen right now. Uh, and, and it was also made into a documentary. Uh, and Michael Plant was, was an experienced, amazing yachtsman. And he was very rich. And so his boat, the Coyote, had everything that you could imagine. All of the bells and whistles and fancy stuff that was around at that season. Uh, and he single-handedly um, uh, crossed oceans many, many times. And in 1992, he set sail from America across to Europe. But 11 days into sea, they lost the signal from his yacht. And eventually they found the coyote and it was turned upside down and they never found the body of Mike Plant. 
And here's what they think happened. He spent so much effort and so much energy and so much money on things above the waterline. And yet underneath the waterline, in the keel, there was a weight. And if the weight had been attached properly to the keel, no storm would have capsized the boat. But he didn't attach it properly. He spent all of his time and effort and energy on all the stuff above the waterline. But it was what was under the waterline that caused him to sink. You know, when we allow God to work below the waterline, we don't just survive, we thrive. When we remain, and that's what that word perseverance means, it means remain. When we remain and when we endure, when we climb the hill, when we let God do what He wants to do, when we change the narrative from am I going to make it through these days to what are these days going to make of me, then we get to remain. Guys, the only thing worse than a crisis is a wasted crisis. And I don't know whether you've ever seen um, uh, one of those pictures of, um, of a community after a hurricane or after one of those kind of typhoons or something. But here's a picture going to come up of, uh, and this inspires me when I see this, that single solitary house standing when everything else is wiped out. And guys, I want you to know, I think God wants to say to you today, you can stand at the end of all this. You can not just stand, but you can stand strong at the end of all of this crisis. If you let him do what he wants to do, if you consider it pure joy, if you remain in the midst of all that, you can stand strong at the end. When we let God do what he wants to do in the crisis, he produces a fortitude and a strength in us, which, which means that we get to be stronger in the next season, in the next crisis, in the next challenge. And maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're saying, how can I make sense of this? Then I want you to go with us uh, as I take you through some important questions. And as I share these questions with you guys, I want you to know, if you want prayer today, at any point as I track through this, maybe, maybe something really resonates with you, then I want you just to, just to ask someone right now on that chat line, if you're on church online or whatever, there's a prayer button and you just ask for prayer. Or if you're on YouTube or Facebook, just ask for a prayer. Say, hey, I want to pray. And someone will pray for you personally right now as we, as we go through this. And if you do go off for prayer, maybe go back later on demand and catch up with the rest of the talk. But I want to, I want to, these four questions are questions I heard from a guy called Louis Giglio from Passion Church in, in America. And I'll put some of my thoughts around them. But these are four brilliant questions for us to think about at the end of this series uh, and we're beginning now to think about the future. We're beginning to think about re-entry. We're beginning to think about reset and return. But we don't just want to return or reset to the old normal. That would be the, a waste of a crisis. So here's the four questions. Number one, what does the pressure I feel right now need to break in me? What does the pressure I feel right now need to break in me? Guys, maybe there's a habit, maybe there's an addiction, maybe there's a thought pattern or a cycle and maybe the pressure of the crisis, God's wanting to say, hey, let me use that pressure to break something in you. Wouldn't it be tragic if we went into the crisis with some stuff under the waterline that wasn't good for us, that wasn't helpful, that wasn't healthy and God could be saying, hey, I want to break that so that as you go into the new normal, you go freer than when you went in to the crisis. Just, just last week, um, you, know, you, know, you know, 
putting the bins out. You know, that's become like a highlight of the week for me and Alison. We get to fight now uh, over who puts the bins out because it's like a trip out. Uh, and I was putting the bins out with the recycling the other, the other day. And, and as I was bringing the, the, bo- the box of bottles out, my neighbour over the road, Paul, he, he kind of came out and put his, and his was a huge box of bottles. And as he put them down and they all clanked, he just said to me, they're not all mine, you know, like it was some kind of defence, you know. But it did make me think, Guys, I wonder how many of us are drinking too much during this crisis. And I drink, we drink alcohol, okay? But I'm just saying, I wonder how many of us, and it's interesting how so many sales of down, okay? But actually the ones that are up are food and drink. And I wonder how many of us are reaching for drink or reaching for food, maybe reaching for stuff online that isn't that healthy for us. And maybe during this crisis, as we feel the pressure, instead of reaching for the bottle, maybe we'll reach for the Bible a bit more. Instead of opening the fridge door, maybe we'd open worship a little bit more. Instead of going for that dodgy online stuff that actually isn't helpful and always leaves us feeling awful after we've watched it or engaged it, maybe we'll go for something much more healthy and wholesome. Is the pressure that we're feeling right now, what is it causing? What is it wanting to break in me. Number two, how is this situation trying to push me out of a comfort zone? How is this situation trying to push me out of a comfort zone? You may have seen a picture that's been around on social media of three different zones. There's the the fear zone that we were all in at the start, and I think some of us are still in that one, where we're hoarding and grabbing toilet paper and pasta and flour, where we're panicking and, uh, uh, you know, and where if we ever are out, we're looking fearfully and suspiciously. We don't want to live in that fear zone. Then the next zone is the learning zone where we're evaluating information before we pass it on, where we're looking at what's happening inside of us, where we're naming it to tame it, you know, where, where we're beginning to look out at others. But there's a third zone that I think you and I need to get to, and that's the growth zone, where, where we don't just look to others, but where we help others, where, where we stay um, present in the moment, but future focused, where we learn to adapt, where we learn to be centered, where we learn to be grateful in the middle of our crisis, where we get that 30,000 foot aerial perspective, not just the up close. And that's where we want to be. So, so, so I want to say to you, how is this situation trying to push you out of a comfort zone? Because out of a comfort zone is where you get to grow. Third question, what do I now see that I can contribute to the world? You know, I think that there's a massive thing going on right now in our culture. And I think many of us, and maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but there's something inside of you and it's stirring. And you're, and you're saying to yourself, there's got to be more to life than just going to work or, 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 or watching Netflix or, or getting through or looking forward to the next holiday. There's something deeper at work in you. There's something about meaning about purpose, about why you're on the planet. You know, you are created on purpose for a purpose. And maybe now we can answer that question and say, hey, I'm beginning to see what I can now contribute to the world. That's so, so important. I love this question from Andy Stanley that we've used before. Andy Stanley's a uh, pastor at North Point Church in Atlanta. And he says this, when the story of COVID-19 is just a story we tell, let's make sure our stories are worth telling. What kind of stories are we going to tell? Hey guys, you young guys, teenagers out there, you know, kids out there, if you're watching, you're going to be those guys that in the future, you're going to say to your kids and your grandkids, I lived through COVID-19. 
You know, you know, our granddaughter was born uh, during, uh, during COVID-19. Talitha, she's going to say in the future, I was born in COVID-19. Hopefully she'll tell stories of her mom and dad and her nan and granddad and people around and what they did. Will our stories be worth telling? Guys, will your stories be worth telling in the future? Or did you just grip onto the side of that car and just screamed your way through it? Or did you just say, I've just survived? Or maybe did you say, hey, I let God do something in me. I kept it in the oven long enough. So it produced perseverance. And that perseverance created maturity and completeness. And I grew through it and other people were impacted. I think that's what God wants to do. I think that's bigger than our crisis. And the final question is this. How can we use this situation to reach more people for the glory of God? You know, a couple of weeks ago, many of you know that, uh, that song, The Blessing, which has gone all around the world. and The UK version where many, many churches in the UK collaborated. That, there was two million views of that in a week. It's 200 new people every single minute. You know, the sale of Bibles is through the roof in April, off the charts. They reckon three million people have turned to prayer for the first time in the UK during COVID-19. The average attendance in churches is usually 5 to 7%. During COVID-19, it's been 24% online. A third of 18 to 34-year-olds say that they've visited a church online during this season. There is something happening, guys, in the middle of this. And if you're connecting in right now and you're one of those people that say, I didn't used to do church, I don't do God, I don't get it. You're connected and you're watching, whether it's live or, or on demand, because something is stirring inside of you. Because God, I believe, is calling you into a relationship with Him and He's using almost the pressure of this moment, the pressure of this crisis to something bigger than our crisis. <laughs> I want to say to you, the only thing worse than a crisis is a wasted crisis. And so to give you a few minutes to reflect on that, I want to introduce Tom to you. Many of you, if you were around with us at Easter, you saw Tom. He's one of our guys, one of the young guys. I've seen him grow up in the life of the church. And he's been on a journey himself, maybe away from God and then back to God and, and, and all different kind of things. But he's got an incredible gift of, 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 of writing and communicating and reflecting on what's happening as he, as he shares this spoken word piece. And we'll put this out on social uh, in the week with the full script because you'll need to watch it again and again just to get the depth of what he's communicating. But as he does that and as he shares this with you right now, take the moment just to reflect. Take the moment to think about what is God doing in me? What is God trying to do through me? And I don't just want to go through the crisis. I don't just want to get, make it through these days. I want these days to make something of me. And whether you're a believer or not, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond right at the end of this. This is called Unplugged. I am a millennial. You know, one of those perennially entitled. So if I need to get something fixed, I'll just go onto Netflix and scroll through the titles. But now there's something outside that's bubonic. I can't just rinse and repeat this cycle if I'm to find a tonic. This infection is so vitriolic, like an insurrection. It's pushed me to the front of an intersection. And in the time that I've taken to do some introspection, I now wonder whether I was mistaken. 
when I traded in my sanity for the vanity of Instagram. But don't try and tell me about myself, cause I've done an Enneagram. And I'll never finish any of my plans. But in the sea of this inanity, I can still hear voices saying to me that our world is changing. So perhaps it's time I reevaluate the kinds of dreams that I've been chasing. But hold on, did you forget about my education? You see, if I need the reference, I'll begin by surveying the information. But then that doesn't make sense because we live in the age of misinformation, where those who are supposed to be a source of wisdom simultaneously pour out a source of division. No one does outrage like we do in Britain, so in these interim days it's fitting that there's still a profit from hate for the prophets of rage. But there's no prophecy where Isaiah says the typewriter should stop printing truth. But then again, what's the use of writing statements that might bring healing when you could just provide an excuse to validate someone's feelings? I should be afraid of being slain by this bubonic, but I'm too high on navel gazing. I've inhaled so much chronic from a media that chronicles what is hateful. So would somebody please pull out their cables? Cause the last time I checked the Daily Mail didn't write Aesop's fables. But ooh, that was a bit too Marxist. I should take this off the table and try and park this, spin a line about something less conspiratorial. The great thing about the legend of myself is that it was built upon online tutorials. So you see me living in this meantime, but this is the age of self-love, so I still deserve a bit of me time. And I'm working on my CV in my free time, trying to acquire a qualification that will equip me to live in a world of self-isolation. I'm going to reach out and grab some inspirational achievements, but when I look back, I just see the sum of my relational bereavements where I viewed opportunities for connection as non-essential to my ascension. But can you come back soon? Cause I need some affection inside this vacuum where no matter how much I consume to define myself, it transpires I'm in a position where I can't even find myself. How is it that my search for identity simply leads to the wrong side of a cemetery? But before you had the empty tomb, you had to have Gethsemane. And before a garden comes to bloom, if you want to find the remedy, you've got to follow some processes before you can feel the progression. But I want to grow the fastest, I want to see the procession. So he sent me on the road to Damascus. And it was here that I met a gardener who has got holes in his hands to let us know that in spite of death, he remains the whole of a man. And like Thomas, I examined his perforations. But instead of seeing ailments, I just read perfect statements that say the pursuit of God's truth doesn't end on the inside of a confessional booth. So whereas once I just had transgressions because I was so aimless, now all I can speak is professions that I've been unplugged from the matrix as if I was Neo. My cup flows over with his holy vino. He knows it's not just extra time, then he knows before he issues a judgment. This man turns water into wine. My soul drinks a god of abundance. And as the scales fall, I can see the signs and wonders. Breathing life into my soul's rigor mortis. He leads me to the real world like his name was Morpheus. Through the gates of freedom's freehold where what he holds is glorious. But right now there's no bodies in the building so you question the relevance. But did you miss the hands and feet already outside? Building his body of evidence. Do you think I'm saying this for the hell of it? As if heaven would send down manna just for me to dish out a bit of banter? And would I be too far out my manner to say the words God loves you have been repeated so much they become a mantra? I've come to believe the sentence God actually likes you might sometimes be a better answer. 
Cause when a man sends his son to die for you Then to some extent that man must delight in you And the father starts running when the prodigal son comes into view So perhaps all Jesus needs today is a sighting of you So incredibly powerful, isn't it? I encourage you to watch that again. Let me just read some of those words to you. When no matter how much I consume to define myself, it transpires I'm in a position where I can't even find myself. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're looking for purpose. In the midst of this crisis, there's pressure. Maybe you're looking for that purpose. That purpose comes through relationship with Jesus. Tom went on to say, so he sent me on the road to Damascus and it was here that I met a gardener who got holes in his hands to let us know that in spite of death, he remains a whole man. And then I love this last stanza because when a man sends his son to die for you, then to some extent, that man must delight in you. God doesn't just love you, God likes you and delights in you. And then he says, and the father starts running when the prodigal son comes into view. So perhaps all Jesus needs today is a sighting of you. There's someone bigger than our crisis. His name is God. And he sent his own son, Jesus, to have a relationship with you and I. And you know, a lot of what I see in in the world doesn't make much sense right now. But I tell you what, without God, it makes no sense at all. And so right now, Before we finish off, if you've never surrendered your life to God, if you've never said yes to Jesus and you know the pressure's going on there and you know that there's something deeper and bigger at work inside of you and you can't explain it all, I tell you what, it's God who's calling you home. And today, all He wants is a sighting of you. Literally where we just move towards and we say, God, I don't get it all. I don't understand it all, but I wanna know you. And then He comes running towards us. So that's you right now. Uh, And maybe you made this decision years ago when you were a kid, but you've walked away and you know you've not been in relationship with God. Uh, And you know that you've turned away from God, but maybe now you're starting to connect back in, or maybe you've never said yes to God. Then I want to encourage you right now, make that decision right now. And right where you're watching, there's going to come up a little icon or a little, uh, some, some language, some, I want to respond to Jesus. I want to say yes to Jesus. Whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on church online. On church online, there'll be a little hand come up. You just click yes as I pray for you right now. Jesus, I want to pray that every single one of us in the middle of this crisis will recognise that there's someone, something bigger than our crisis, and that's you. And so God, we want to give our lives to you today. I pray, Jesus, that you, would resp- that you would speak to many people right now in this moment, that many people would give you a sighting of themselves, that they would respond to you. And so God, we say yes to you and we receive that gift of eternal life and relationship with you now in Jesus' name. Amen. And can I just say, if if any of you want prayer right now, you know, please, please just engage with us and ask someone to pray for you. You know, you can do this at any time. You can do it right now. You can go on our website and look for Say One For Me and you can uh, fill in a response there and someone will pray for you. And you know, if you are connecting in new with us, we would love to connect with you more. And if you go onto our next step button on our website, then you can fill that in and we would love just to send you an email uh, with some more information as well. You know, as, as we finish right now, there's one other thing that I wanna do. 
You know, in this whole deal that we're in, as we begin to start thinking about coming through this in the next weeks and months, and it's going to be a long thing, we know that. Again, there's something bigger than our crisis. What is God doing in us? What is God doing in me, in you, in us? How big are we going to come through this as a people? Are we going to come out of this as a fearful, intimidated, small people? Or are we going to come out of it with a people whose, whose perseverance has been strengthened, who, who now are more mature, now more complete, we, we're now more passionate about our world. And we want to make a difference because we know that we're created on purpose, for a purpose. Are we going to be people that are going to say, Jesus, take my life, take my one and only life and let it be surrendered to You for Your glory. Are we going to be those kind of people? I hope and pray that we are. That's going to need not just a response, but an ongoing surrender. And as we finish, Abby and Chris Eaton again, I've written an amazing song a year or so ago called Selah. And Abby recorded this um, many months ago in, a, in, a, in an old church with a choir around her. And the word Selah is an old word in Hebrew. Uh, you, you read it in the book of the Psalms and, and it means lots of things actually. It means pause, it means reflect, but it also means Amen, which means so be it. So I wonder as, as Abby sings this for you and, and then we're done uh, today, I, I wonder if, if this could be a few moments where you pause and reflect, but where also you surrender and you say, God, let it be. Amen. Whatever you want, break that habit in me. Break that pattern in me. Bring me out of that comfort zone so that I grow. Let me be used for Your glory. Let not this crisis be a wasted crisis, but let You do something in me so that something amazing could happen through me into our world. Selah, let it be. Amen.